Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Middle East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. A recent ban on a militant Iranian-backed Shiite group raised the specter of the Saudi-Iranian rivalry spilling onto Nigerian streets as security forces launched a manhunt to find the alleged Boko Haram operatives who killed 65 people attending a funeral. Nigeria, Africa's foremost oil producer, banned the Iranian-backed Islamic Movement of Nigeria, or IMN, this weekend after demonstrations in the capital Abuja to free its leader, Ibrahim el-Zakzaki, turned violent. At least six people were killed. The Saudis, watching the Iranians trying to break into northern Nigeria, is almost like watching someone else trying to befriend your best friend, said Ini Dela Adeji, a Nigerian academic at the University of London School of Oriental and African Studies referring to the region's religious elites that have aligned themselves with the kingdom. Saudi cables released in 2015 by WikiLeaks reveal concern about Iranian-funded Shiite expansion in West African and Sahel nations, including Mali, Mauritania, Burkina Faso, and Nigeria. Mr. Dele Adeji said, Saudi and Iranian funding was on the surface about these countries helping out with charitable work activities. But beyond that, it's also a way for those countries to almost create extensions of themselves. Mr. El-Zakzaki, a Sunni Muslim student activist inspired by the 1979 Iranian Revolution, initially agitated for a repeat in his native Nigeria. When that didn't work, Mr. El-Zakzaki went to Iran, converted to Shiism, and started wearing the white turban of a Shiite cleric. Returning home in the 1990s, he became the leader of the Islamic movement and turned it into a vehicle for proselytizing and gaining followers. Things got out of hand when Nigerian troops killed hundreds of Shiites in the ancient university town of Zaria in December 2015 and arrested Mr. El-Zakzaki and hundreds of his followers. The army accused the Shiite group of attempting to kill Nigeria's army's chief of staff, a charge the movement denies. Iran has been funding Mr. El-Zakzaki for years and the area of Zaria he worked in became the mecca for the dispossessed in Nigeria, according to Matthew Page, a former U.S. State Department specialist on Nigeria. The Islamic movement has been receiving about $10,000 a month from Iran, he estimated. Mr. El-Zakzaki used the money to fund soup kitchens and home shelters, Mr. Page said. This was a very inexpensive way for Iran to have a toehold in Nigeria, he said. Ralem Nusebe, founder of London-based consultants Cornerstone Global Associates, estimated that Mr. Al-Zakzaki's organization operates more than 300 schools, Islamic centers, a newspaper, guards, 
and a Martyrs Foundation. The network is similar to welfare systems established elsewhere by Lebanese Shiite militia Hezbollah and other Iranian-backed groups. The Nigerian government first declared the Islamic movement a security threat in 2017, comparing it with the Boko Haram insurgency, according to Nigerian diplomats. Peregrino Brima, a trained medical doctor who teaches biology, anatomy, and physiology at colleges in New York, never gave much thought while growing up in Nigeria to the fact that clerics increasingly were developing links to Saudi Arabia. You could see the money. The big ones were leading the good life. They ran scholarship programs. In fact, I was offered a scholarship to study at King Fahad University in Riyadh. I never thought about it until December 2015, when up to 1,000 Shiites were killed by the military in northern Nigeria. Since I started looking at it, I realized how successful, how extraordinarily successful the Wahhabis have been, Mr. Brima said. He decided to stand up for Shiite rights after the incident in which the military arrested Mr. El-Zakzaki. The Nigerian military said that it had attacked sites in Zaria after hundreds of Shia demonstrators had blocked the convoy of Nigeria's armed chief, General Tukur Buratai, in an effort to kill him. Military police said Shiites had crawled through tall grass towards General Burati's vehicle with the intent to attack the vehicle with a petrol bomb, while others suddenly resorted to firing gunshots from the direction of the mosque. A phone call to Nigerian President Mohamed Buhari in which King Salman expressed his support for the government's fight against terrorist groups, was widely seen as Saudi endorsement of the military's crackdown on the country's Shiite minority. The state-owned Saudi press agency quoted King Salman as saying that Islam condemns such cr criminal acts and that the kingdom, in a reference to Iran, opposed foreign interference in Nigeria. Mr. Brima's defense of the Shiites has cost him dearly, illustrating the degree to which Saudi-funded ultra-conservatism and Iranian agitation has altered Nigerian society. I lost everything I had built on social media the minute I stood up for the Shiites. I had thousands of fans. Suddenly, I was losing two to three hundred followers a day. My brother hasn't spoken to me since. The last thing he said to me is, how can you adopt Shiite ideology? I raised the issue in a Sunni chat forum. It became quickly clear that these attitudes were not accidental. They are the product of Saudi-sponsored teachings of serious hatred. People don't understand what they are being taught. They rejoice when a thousand Shiites are killed. Even worse is the fact that they hate people like me who stand up for Shiites even more than they hate the Shiites themselves. In response to Mr. Brima's writing about the clash, General Buratai invited him for a chat. 
Mr. Brema politely declined. When Mr. Brema reiterated his accusation, General Buratay's spokesman, Colonel S.K. Usman, adopting the Saudi line of Shiites being Iranian stooges, accused the scientist of being on the Islamic Republic's payroll. Several of us hold you in high esteem based on perceived honesty, intellectual prowess, and ability to speak your mind. That was before. But the recent incident and subsequent events and actions by some groups and individuals such as you made one to have rethink. I was quite aware of your concerted effort to smear the good name and reputation of the chief of the army staff to the extent of calling for his resignation, Colonel Usman said in an email to Mr. Brima that he shared with this writer. General Buratai went out of his way to write to you and even invited you for constructive engagement. But because you have dubious intents, you cleverly refused. God, indeed, is very merciful for exposing you. Let me make it abundantly clear to you that your acts are not directed to the person of the chief of army staff. They have far-reaching implication on our national security. Please think about it and mend your ways and refund whatever funds you coveted for the campaign of calumny, C Colonel Osman said. Mr. Brema's inbox has since then been inundated with anti-Shiite, anti-Iranian writings in what he believes is a military-inspired campaign. Mr. Brema's predicament reflects the fallout of the Saudi-Iranian rivalry in West Africa as a result of Saudi and Iranian funding that has let the genie of intolerance, discrimination, and bigotry out of the bottle. Isufu Yahya, in the Sahel state of Niger, recalls his student days in the 1980s when there wasn't a single mosque on his campus. Today, we have more mosques here than we have lecture rooms. So much has changed in such a short time, he said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.